0: So, but the good news is we're turning the corner. I think we're almost done seeing it. Um, the other thing, extra coffee today, right? The time changed, right? That, that kind of crushed me this morning. I think that and a little bit I was sharing with folks, like uh, my two sons and I played basketball for several hours yesterday. And like, we're at this stage uh, with my boys, like, I gotta try, y'all. Like, <laughs> Like, I really got to work at it. And they, they worked me over it yesterday. So I'm a little bit sore this morning, got my coffee going. But great to be with you, great to, to worship with you. My name's Corey. I serve as a teaching pastor here at our Plain City campus. And if you're new to LifePoint, Thanks so much for being here today, for taking a little bit of time out of your Sunday to come and and be with us this morning. Uh, We are one church spread over five different campuses, and we seek to draw life from God and point others to him. And so if you're new, I just want to ask one special favor of you this morning. You can go ahead and get out your phone. And as you get out your phone, open up your web browser and type in lpguest.com. That's lpguest.com. Or you can just simply scan that QR code on the back of the chair in front of you. That's going to take you to some helpful resources for today. The first thing, it's going to take you to message notes for this morning. Then it's also going to take you to just a guest card that will take you less than 60 seconds to fill out, just to let us know you visited with us. At the bottom of that guest card are five ministries that we're already partnered with. You can pick the one that means the most to you, and we'll make an additional $5 donation to that ministry in your honor. That way you can do something good and kind just for being with us uh, today. Well this morning we're jumping into a brand new series called The Ascent and in this series we're going to look at five times where God calls people to uh, ascend or to climb a mountain where they are seeking provision. It'll be for the purpose of provision and it's going to be in these high altitude moments that we'll see God actually moved in people rather than moving the mountain, that God didn't so much change the circumstances as he changed the people for the circumstances. And these mountaintop experiences, our hope is that we see that God only provided for folks in the past, but that he provides for us today. And so our big idea for this series that we're going to talk about each and every week is this, that, that God's purpose for you is established in his provision for you, that God's purpose for you is established in his provision for you. And our first mountaintop moment of this series comes in the Old Testament on Mount Moriah. So here's what I want to invite you to do. If you've got your Bible or your Bible app, go to the Old Testament with me. Go find Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. As you're turning there, let me just share a bit of history about Mount Moriah, right? It was on Mount Moriah that King David, right, builds this altar so that a plague would stop just kind of ravaging the people of Israel. It was after David's death that his son, King Solomon, built the temple of the Lord. He built it on Mount Moriah. Solomon's temple lasted for over 400 plus years before it was destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar. So 70 years later, After it was destroyed, it was rebuilt as the Jews returning from Babylonian exile came back. They rebuilt it on the exact same site. And it was around the the first century that King Herod took over the temple, made some additions, and it actually became known as Herod's Temple. This was the same temple that Jesus cleansed in John chapter 2. And it was in AD 70 that the Roman armies led by Titus once again destroyed the temple. And today... The region of Moriah right, is is where modern day Jerusalem is located. And all that's left of the temple is what's known as the western wall or the wailing wall. But the rich history of of Mount Moriah all started in the text that we're going to be looking at today in Genesis chapter 22. And in Genesis chapter 22, we get this account of Abraham and Isaac. If you've been in church, you've probably heard the story of, of Abraham and Isaac, right? God promises a great nation would come through Abraham. And not that it would only come through Abraham, but that it would come through Abraham's son. And Abraham's married to his wife, Sarah. However, the, the issue is Abraham and Sarah are unable to have children and they're like pushing a hundred years old. But God delivers on His promise, and Abraham and Sarah have a son. And his name is Isaac. And so as we open up Genesis chapter 22 and we begin in verse 1, those are the things that have happened. And it says in verse 1, after these things, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham. Now, this is years after Isaac was born. And Abraham's over 100 years old now. And we read in verse 1 that God tested Abraham. Abraham. Now, I don't know about you, when I hear the word test, I kind of start to break out in a cold sweat because as I grew up in middle school and high school and college, I hated tests, right? I didn't study for them well. I, didn't, I wasn't a good test taker, right? So that gives me a little bit of anxiety just hearing the word tested, okay? But we all know that testings go beyond school, right? As you grow older in life, There's many tests that we face, whether mental or physical or emotional or relational or circumstantial tests, happen all the time in our lives. And tests can be extremely hard. They can be extremely difficult. And so before we go any further, I just want to say three quick things about tests for us as we enter this text today. In the Bible, when we see the word test, it only shows up between God and believers, Right? It only shows up between God and believers. And you would say, well, why would God test those who follow him? Probably the easiest way that I could explain it is with God, tests grow our trust in him. With God, tests reveal our faith in him. And with God, tests teach us things that we could, could not otherwise learn. So in the Bible, when the word test is used, it's always between God and someone who's following him. Number two, not every difficult circumstance in life is a, a test. Sometimes what we're experiencing, right, is just normal human life. Sometimes what we're walking through in, in, in life, if it's difficult, we're reaping what we've, we've sown. Other times it's just a result of living in a broken and fallen world thanks to the effects of, of sin. So number one... Test show up between God and believers. Number two, not everything we face is, is a test. And number three, there is a difference between test and temptation. I just felt like we need to clarify that. There's a difference between a test and a temptation. The Bible says temptations come from our desires within us. That's in James chapter one. And that God tests, but God never tempts that when we do face a test, it comes from the Lord because he's got a special purpose to fulfill in, in our lives. I've always heard it said like this, and I thought I'd share it with us. Temptations are used by the devil to bring out the worst in us. Tests are used by the Lord to bring out the best in us. And so here in Genesis chapter 22, Abraham and the test he's about to face was not so much to produce faith in him, but to reveal his faith. It was to reveal whom Abraham loved the most in his life. And it was part of God building Abraham up slowly, piece by piece, year after year. And so God calls out to Abraham, and Abraham says, Here I am. And in verse 2, God says, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. Now, interesting note here. This is the first mention of love in the Bible. The very first mention. And it's connected with the love between a father and a son, and it's connected with this idea of a a sacrifice, of offering one's son. But we read, if you're like me, the first thing I think about is like God's asking Abraham to sacrifice his son. Why, why would he do that, right? Now, I think we need to get our heads around this because this is the son Abraham has longed for, right? This is Isaac, the miracle child that came into Abraham and Sarah's life. This is what God promised Abraham. And now God's asking Abraham to sacrifice his son. Why would, why would God do this? I mean, I read this and the first time I read it, it's like, oh my gosh, this is so horrific and so barbaric, how could God but here's what we need to understand in this moment. We need to understand what was going on culturally at this time. We need to understand what the culture was like because the world Abraham lived in, sadly, human sacrifice was regularly practiced. The world that, that Abraham lived in, the, there were people who worshipped other pagan gods, as it was said, and, and human sacrifice was nothing unusual to those people groups who worshipped these other gods. And that humans at this time, in general, believe that, hey, their pain would satisfy their God's anger. Furthermore, at this point in history, we need to understand that there was no Israel, there was no Torah, there was no law of God, and there was no sacred scriptures at this time. What's going on right here in Genesis chapter 22 we're reading, we need to understand that this is God. He's beginning to introduce himself through Abraham to The human race. That's so important contextually for us to understand because we read it through our modern day eyes right here and right now. And so for Abraham in this moment, right, the culture he lived in, God asking him to sacrifice his son. Abraham's mind must be churning at this point and be thinking, oh my gosh, this this God that I follow, the God of the covenant, this Yahweh God, this creator of heaven and earth, He must be like all the other gods that all the other people worship. But what's happening is this. God is about to teach Abraham. God is about to teach the human race. That the practice of human sacrifice must be stopped. That God loves Isaac just as much as he loves Abraham. That God loves the child just as much as he loves the parent. And that it is not okay to murder your children. God is using this experience to establish an end to child sacrifice, not promote it. God is using this experience to show Abraham and to show the world that he was not like any of the other gods that people worship, that he was going to be just the opposite. We go on in verse 3 and it says, So Abraham rose early in the morning, and he saddled his donkey and he took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. And Abraham said to the young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Now, no time for this, but again, we have another first. This is the first time worship is mentioned in the Bible. Now, as we read through this passage today, one of the things I found interesting in studying it. Not once, not once in everything we're reading in Genesis 22 does it say anything about how Abraham felt. It's it's not because Abraham didn't feel anything, but it's because Abraham was modeling for us walking by faith and not his feelings. It was faith that led Abraham and Isaac up Mount Moriah. It was faith that led them to trust God when they didn't understand. It was faith that led them to, to trust God when they didn't feel like it. Of course, Abraham didn't feel like moving forward with this. But it was also faith that led Abraham to say what he says here, that there would be, he had confidence that both he and Isaac would return. He says, we will come again to you. That's what he tells the two guys that came with them. Why would Abraham say this? Well, it's because of the promise that God made Abraham in Genesis chapter 21 and verse 12. It's there we read that God said to Abraham, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Right? What's happening in, in Genesis chapter 21 is God saying, I, God, promise to you, Abraham, that your family line will continue through Isaac. He's saying, "I, God, promise that your family will grow through Isaac. That your grandkids and your great-grandkids and your great-great-grandkids—they're going to come through. They're going to come through Isaac." And so, now in the midst of this strange request from God, this this test from God, not knowing what God was doing, not knowing what the outcome will be, Abraham clung to God's promise to him that in faith that they would return. Here's what Abraham was was clinging to: this promise that, hey. All of your descendants, they're gonna come through Isaac. He was clinging to that so much and believed in it so much and had so much faith in it that he believed that even if Isaac died, God would raise Isaac from the dead to fulfill his promise. And you say, come on, where do you get that from? Well, there's this amazing thing called comparing scripture with scripture. And if we fast forward to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 17, we're told there that it was by faith Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. See, here's what Abraham knew, which is so awesome. He knew that with God, anything is possible but he also knew with God what was impossible was that God would break his promise. I read something the other day um, regarding a, from another pastor regarding Abraham's faith, and I want to share it with you. We'll put it up on the screen here. It says, Our faith is not really tested until God asks us to bear what seems unbearable and do what seems unreasonable and expect what seems impossible. Can I be honest with you today when I read that? Right, two things happened. The living daylights were scared out of me, and I was excited at the same time. You say, why? Why? Like, how could you have both of those? Listen, just to be transparent, I'm scared to be tested with the unbearable and the unreasonable. If I'm just being honest with you, like that God would test me that way kind of scares me. But at the same time, I'm excited because I want to see in my life and I want to expect in my life and I want to experience in my life, God doing the impossible. And I say that today knowing that some of y'all have and right now are walking through the unbearable and walking through the unreasonable right now. And I pray this morning that that today would encourage you, that, that God would strengthen you today, that you would lean into the Lord today, that you would walk by faith today, that you would see God's activity in your life today, that in the midst of the unreasonable and the unbearable, that you would even see God do the impossible in your life today. Because you see, what I think is so valuable that we learn from Abraham, and it's so relevant to us, is this, that, that many times when God sends a test to us, I don't know what your first response is, but I know what mine is. It's usually this, why God? That's usually my first response. And it's followed up with my brilliant second response. Why me? Right? Why God and why me? That's usually where I go to first. Right? right away, we're like, God, you need to give me some explanations on why I'm going through what I'm going through and why you chose me to go through this. And I think the initial lesson that we learn from Abraham is this here, that we should focus on God's promises not explanations and that we should also learn that faith does not demand explanations all the time but that faith rests on promises and we can focus and rest on those promises because y'all God cannot lie, God has never failed, he never will, he is able, he is true and he is faithful but it's more than just that. As we continue on with Abraham and Isaac, we read in verse 6 that Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering. He laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they both went together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, and my, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, there's the fire. There's the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. Just a key thing for this story, the phrase both of them together is repeated two times here. And it literally means the two of them went in agreement with one another. That Isaac went along knowingly and willingly. In verse 9, it says, When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there. And he laid the wood in order and he bound Isaac, his son, and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and he took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Abraham and Isaac finished their climb on Mount Moriah. They reached the place where God had told them to go and stop. Abraham lays Isaac on the altar and it looks like God is just like every other God out there. It looks like God is contradicting his promises. It looks like God will not show up this time. That he will not provide. And in the last moments, the angel of the Lord calls out and says, Abraham, Stop. Had to be the sweetest words Abraham ever heard in his life. Abraham had passed the test. And in a moment's notice, God emphatically shows he is not like any of the other gods that people worship. In a moment's notice, he shows that he does not desire human sacrifice. In a moment's notice, he is not going to forget his promises that he does not fail. And in this test, not only did did Abraham learn that he could trust in and focus on and rest in and have faith in God's promises, but here he learns something far more important. He learns that there's a difference between trusting in the promise and then trusting in the promiser. Yes, we need to look to and trust in and have faith in God's promises, but even more importantly, we must put our faith and our trust and our hope in the promiser. Why does that matter? Because we can put the promise above God. We can elevate the promise before God Himself. And if we put the promises before God, we can feel it's our responsibility to bring those promises to fruition, even if it means disobeying God to do it. I mean, think about it for a moment. God promised that Isaac would be the son that all of of Abraham's descendants would come from. Abraham could have refused to go, he didn't have to go up Mount Moriah. He could have gotten there and be like, oh, shoot, I forgot the knife. I forgot the fire. God just can't go through it. we got to turn around. we got to go back. He could have said no, and Isaac would have lived. Isaac would have had kids and grandkids. The family line would have continued. But if he did that, Abraham would have put the promise above the promiser. But Abraham, in faith, obeyed and trusted God above all else. And in doing so, he shows us that we are to trust the promiser and know that the promise will be taken care of. And what happens next is what I believe is key to this whole account. God stops Abraham and in the very next moment in verse 13, we read that Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket or the bushes by his horns. And Abraham went and he took the ram and he offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham call the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Notice here, like what we talked about in the beginning, God doesn't remove the need for a sacrifice. He doesn't change the circumstances. Instead, God intervenes and he provides. He provides what was needed. And in the process, he grows Abraham and he grows Isaac. And in God's provision, Abraham learns a new name for God. He learns Jehovah-Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. And then Abraham appropriately names the place the Lord will provide. I love that. Because notice, Abraham didn't name the place in reference to what God had had done. Right? He didn't name it Mount Trial. He didn't name it Mount Agony. He didn't name it Mount Obedience. Instead, he referenced what God actually did for him. He named it Mount Provision. He named it Mount Provide. And the word provide means to to supply what's needed. It means to to give sustenance or support. And this word provide is really a combo Latin word between pro and and vide. Pro means on behalf of. And vide means to to see. So in verse eight, when, when Abraham says, God will provide himself the lamb, it's Abraham saying that God will see to it himself a lamb in verse 14 when Abraham says the Lord will provide it's Abraham saying the Lord will see when Abraham says on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided it's saying on the mount of the Lord it shall be seen and to add to all of it the name Moriah means chosen by Jehovah it means visible of the Lord This account of Abraham and Isaac shows us many things, but what I think is most profound, what is most applicable and relevant and encouraging to us is it shows us today that God does not simply see as a passive bystander, that God is not merely an observer to what's going on in our lives. Rather, wherever God is looking, God is acting, that God's provision does not merely mean his seeing, but rather his seeing too. That when God sees something, he sees to it. So what does this mean for you and I t- today? If you remember where we began, we kind of started with a brief history of, of Mount Moriah. We mentioned how King David bought back the, the mountain to, to offer sacrifices so, so a plague wouldn't ravage Israel. Later on, his son Solomon right becomes king and he builds the temple there. Do you know what all of this leads to? It leads to thousands of years later. On one of these little hills on Mount Moriah, on one of the little rocky outcroppings on this very mountain, there's going to be a space that's eventually called Golgotha, the place of the skull, the place where Jesus would be crucified. The whole reason this happens with with Abraham, his only son, whom he loves, who carries the wood on his back up this mountain, who is laid on the wood for sacrifices, is ringing any bells. It shows us what it was like for God, for you and I, for God the Father, to send his one and only son, whom he loved, to go up this very same mountain we just read about with the wood on his back, the cross. And to be sacrificed that God was giving his one and only son for us. Abraham displayed his heart toward God and that he was willing to give up his only son. God displays his heart towards us in the same way that he would give up his only son. And and when God asked Abraham for the ultimate demonstration of love and commitment, he asked for Abraham's son. And when God wanted to demonstrate and show us his ultimate love and commitment to us, he gives us his son. But here's the difference in all of this. The difference between Abraham's son and the difference between God's son is that with Jesus, no one would stop the Roman soldier's hammer from driving the nails in his hands and his feet. That when Jesus called out, no one was going to answer. this is what it means for us. It means that long before you and I were ever born, God would see us. He would see our ultimate need. He would see your ultimate need. He would see your sin and he would see my sin. He would see every mistake that you would make. He would see every mistake that I would make and God would provide for us. He would provide the victory over sin and death by giving his one and only son whom he loved, Jesus, the lamb who would be slain as a sacrifice in your place and in mine. Because only Jesus could be the perfect substitute. Only Jesus would be the perfect sacrifice because Jesus was both God and man. And here's what's, what's so awesome. I was just talking with, with some friends the other day about this, right? Every other religion in the world do you know what they have to do every other religion in the world their gods say climb your way up the mountain to get to their god you got to earn your way up you got to effort your way up that mountain but what makes christianity what makes the god of this bible so unique and so different is that god in jesus is the only god who ever said you know what You don't have to climb up the mountain. I'm going to come down the mountain to you. I'm going to send Jesus down the mountain to meet you where you're at because I want to, because I love you, because I am provider. I am Jehovah Jireh and because God says, I see you. Let that sink in today. Let that sink in for the rest of this series. Knowing that yes, Trials will come. Difficulties will come. Circumstances will come that you and I do not like. But we need to know that God is always working. That God is always shaping. That he's always growing us. And sometimes, sure, things will go our way. But other times they will not. But may we never lose sight of the fact that our ultimate need has been met. And we never lose sight that our ultimate need has been provided for in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And here's what I get to, what I love about today and where we start this series. We get to close out our time today by remembering what Jesus has done by taking communion together. And so if, if you didn't grab any of the elements on the way in, feel free to go do that now and Uh, They're located right on the back of the table there. Uh, Feel free to go grab one of those. The worship team's gonna come up and close us in song in, in just a moment. But I love the fact that we get to do this because communion for us, right, for Christians is to celebrate, it's to honor, it's to remember how God provided for us in and through Jesus Christ. That through the breaking of the bread, It represents Christ's broken body on the cross. The cup represents Jesus's shed blood for the sins of the world. And that Paul, as he writes to the church, he says, as often as you do this, right? He calls back on Jesus's words. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So in other words, whether it's weekly, monthly, quarterly, The timing and the frequency doesn't matter, but as often as you do it, you do it in remembrance of what Jesus Christ has done. So today in this moment, we do that. We remember. We remember how Jesus provided for us our ultimate need for victory over sin and death in our lives. So on the night before Jesus went to the cross, he took the bread, he broke it, He blessed it and he gave it to the disciples. And he said, take, eat, this is my body. The scriptures say, then Jesus gave thanks and he took the cup and he said, drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood, the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Would you pray with me as we close? Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for coming down the mountain. Thank you for providing for us thank you for loving us Lord in life it's easy to look around and for us to say we have this need and that need and, and this want and but Lord our ultimate need is for forgiveness of our sins and for a right relationship with you thank you that you made a way for that through Jesus Lord today you are a provider you are Jehovah Jireh and we give you praise and we give you thanks Lord and I pray for anyone today that is walking through the unbearable the unreasonable Lord that they would press into you that they would put their faith and their trust in you. Yes, Lord, they would rest and trust in your promises, but even more so would they trust in you, the promiser. Would you hold them up? Would you strengthen them? And Lord, teach us to draw near to you, to walk close to you, to trust you, that whatever we face, Lord, as difficult as it might be, and we would give you praise. And we would give you honor. And we would give you glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray.